So Adam, you and I just listened back to that really edge of your seat thriller moment we left in part one. <laughs> now we're into part two. So everyone listening, hi listeners, um, you now no longer have to hold your breath. So Adam, do you remember where we left off last week? I do. Um, it's a bewildering transition and I'm glad that we've given our, our audience a week to prepare for it. Um, we had just finished, uh, Wen's second cursing lesson. <laughs> yes. And we had finally gotten Andrew to say something more vulgar than, gosh darn it. Yeah, which I'm not going to repeat again. I, I wouldn't expect you to. You have to recharge your batteries and maybe next year or the year after, <laughs> uh, or at the next, uh, the next political rally you attend. Anyway, um, so so we had just we had we had just had this lovely moment of I don't know verbal jouissance, mm. and then we made an abrupt transition in the interview to talking about the civil unrest in Hong Kong, mm -hmm. which for the listeners is a week apart, but for us was a matter of seconds, and it really it really does feel very authentic to this year because I think that. I've had a lot of conversations like this mm -hmm. in person to per I mean, I haven't had a lot of person to person conversations, but those but I have these had, two parts. Yeah. Happening yeah. in conversation. These two, these two parts have been jostling each other all year, mm -hmm. right? The, the moments of levity where you get out and you, and you get to talk about something you really love, like for me, vulgarity. Um, and the moments of seriousness where you end up talking about this or that election, this or that riot or protest or, um, you know, the, the COVID-19, all of the, all of the things that, that have been going on. And so it is in some ways a fitting, uh, way to take, uh, uh, our, uh, break, uh, over, over Thanksgiving and, and to start a, start a season afresh in December. It is fitting to to have that juxtaposition. Yeah, and I think from what you're now all going to listen to, Adam and I and so many of you listening who are in the U.S., it was in uh, the tense waiting period of the election results. So you can really hear a lot of anxiety in our voices. Yes. And I think it's important to contextualize because um, – emotions really run a roller coaster um in these next 40 minutes so uh, we want to prepare you for that yeah and i don't want the introduction to outstrip the length of the interview yes but, but something that we want to mention again and again is that because of this podcast uh i met up well virtually anyway with when for the first time in a few years yeah and now we have her as a regular uh, as a regular on our, uh, in our writing group, right? We meet three times a week yeah. and uh, we meet at 9 a.m., which for her is what, 10 p.m.? Something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, and we have another person who's even an hour later in Tokyo. Yes. <laughs> and then I brought my friends from England um, and now, and yeah, and I think this is really good to bring up, Adam, which is that all of you who listen to our podcast, you're not just, I mean, we love the fandom, 
but you're not just fans here. You are part of our community and you can join our writing group. And we're really encouraging more and more people to join to feel that this is not an isolating activity that we're all doing together. So please reach out. Um, you can email us um, at andrew.rimby at stonybrook.edu. You can use our Twitter, which um, we've now it's created. At Ivory, at Ivory Boiler Room. Good, okay. And the Facebook group is the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Um, and you can request to join. We'll accept your request and you can message us that way. So thank you all so much for sticking with us. We actually will check back with you all at the end of this interview, just with a short wrap up of our season and speaking anecdotally about it. So enjoy part two of Wen's interview. And so, I mean, it would, it would be remiss of us to spend all of our time, you know, enjoying each other's company, which is, which we have every reason to do, and yet not to address the, the sort of elephant in the room, which is... Mm. The protests and, protests, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think it was, um, for me, it was, uh, you know, I, 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 situated myself and my family in Hong Kong because I thought it was a strategic um, uh, placement because my husband is from Britain, I'm from the mainland and our children, you know, what could be a better place of raising the children in this cosmopolitan city where they can learn both Chinese and English and then it's a it's an international city it's very democratic and people you know people were living a happy life that's you know that, that was my naive thoughts and i also thought you know I, I really want them to be able to choose you know but at the time it was just my elder daughter but i want want her to be able to choose her future if she could choose to leave hong kong and go to the states or back to the uk or she could choose a career in China, um, but you know she will be able to have the luxury of choice, right? So that's that's just the personal strategic planning. And uh, so um, last year, when this uh, whole movement, um, it actually was already in uh, already five years ago. You know the umbrella movement, right? And uh, so that Occupy Central, which was after the um, Occupy uh, well, Wall Street. Yeah, yeah, so um, it was all very peaceful, very beautifully done, and we visited several times. It was like a utopia. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not kidding, it's just, and people were reading poetry. You wouldn't believe it, but people were reading poetry. They were reading Yeats uh, in, in, in Central, and people were having uh, like lessons in a tent, right? Learning about philosophy. <laughs> um, so it was a very, um, so I, al I always thought that Hong Kong would, you know, would get somewhere, right? And, uh, uh, and I, I, I kind of can, I also, I totally understand um, the sentiment and I also totally understand the, I can relate to the, the course, right? I understand um, that they want freedom. Um, but um, right now I do feel that I'm, you know, especially last year, now it's kind of, everything has been 
played down because of the pandemic. Um, so last year, I felt like I was in a very awkward position because I am a mainlander originally, but I have I I can speak Cantonese and I I can pass by as a local. Um, but at the time when people were so so split, uh, we've got the you know the, the you know it's almost like uh, the U.S. now I think it, so it's. Um, people would ask you for your color, like, are you yellow? Are you pro-democratic, right? And or are you pro-communist uh, party? Are you pro-mainland? Uh, are you are you blue? So it's like, so it's like you don't have any space for for the middle, which 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 was where I was, right? So have being the being able to negotiate and to create space for uh yeah for negotiation mm. um so if you are not so that so the basic uh, assumption became if you're not yellow you're blue if you're not blue you're yellow so there's no middle ground mm. so it was very difficult for it has been very difficult uh for us yeah and and i get a lot of i also have a lot of friends from the mainland uh, who who are not seeing the full picture because of the media, uh, because how this ha had been portrayed in in the mainland as as uh, you know an independent uh, Hong Kong independence uh, uh, dangerous um, uh, terrorism. Yeah, so it's so it's very yeah, it's very hard. I'm, I'm I'm I feel the emotion building up inside as well because I'm still I'm still processing it, and I think it's I think it's not over. I don't think it's over, and uh, um, it's just smoldering underneath, and people are so angry and not happy. And I just read some statistics, like one fourth. Uh, like 30 percent, 25 to 30 percent of Hong Kongers are planning to immigrate. Yeah. Okay, and uh, and I think uh, among them, like 25 percent of them are already on their way. Like they're already processing it. So it's it's quite yeah. You and also I've got friends who are from the mainland and they're moving back to the mainland because of last year. So it's like going everybody is you know abandoning the place almost i feel that way and I, I love hong kong so much because i i when i first came here i i tasted freedom and i feel like i have a healthy relationship with my healthier relationship with my motherland and with my mother <laughs> because of the distance so it's <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and it's a, it's really here i got I think I got, um, you know, the, the libraries and you know, the facilities are so good, and there's no no control, like there's no media control. I don't know whether it's going to continue this way. So I I I got access to everything, and it was mind blowing. I was able to see things very differently from from my old kind of education. Um, mm. So. Yeah, I, I really love this place. I really wish people would hang in there and just not abandon it, like in the way they they're trying to do. So, wow. Yeah. 
That sounds so familiar to New York City. Mm. Right now, different I politics, different but, politics, and different reasons. But there's a lot of wealthy families and mm. others who just maybe they've lost their profession too. Because I know because of the pandemic, those mm. in the performing arts, a lot have had to move from Manhattan or Queens or Brooklyn mm. uh, to other cities that have performances happening or other opportunities. And, mm. um, you know, at the same time, though, I know there's a lot of on the ground communities forming in New York City. Um, that exist outside of these bureaucratic systems. And mm. like you're saying, that anger, and I can feel the emotion when you're speaking, when, and mm. so many people are hurting right now. Um, mm. And I think it's because they've been crushed and beaten down so much by mm. these corrupt institutions. And mm. when is their time? And I think that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for them to, we're waiting for the tide to turn. Yeah. Um, mm. And I hope it turns. I hope that people who've been abused get their, um, their freedom and agency and yeah. humanity. Um, mm. But it's painful. That's yeah. for sure. Mm. Yeah, I think I also think like um, the whole atmosphere changed for me. It's like I never thought that I was unwelcomed. Uh, I would never feel that way, and I, uh, I, I, I honestly don't think. I think it's such a unique place, Hong Kong. It's such a unique place, and I, I, I love its uniqueness, and I also love the fact that it's, it's. Um, it's very accommodating um, for people from all over the learning course, uh, call from storytelling to understanding. So we are going to hold workshops for asylum seeking uh, refugee children so that they can tell their stories. Uh, so it's a service learning course and Hong Kong has been harboring these uh, East Asian, you know, refugees, uh, and and I also felt like it, yeah, really I felt I everybody was welcomed here. Mm. Um, and uh, last year I really felt like oh maybe I shouldn't speak Mandarin. I might my, my because I I've been so training my daughter to speak Cantonese, Mandarin, and English. So and our daily conversation would be conducted between uh, me and her. It would, be conducted in my mother tongue, which is Mandarin. But in, in public, I was almost kind of governing my tongue, to quote Heaney, <laughs> uh, trying not to, to do that because we don't know if it's going to offend anyone, if it's... So the, the emotions were that extreme. So, um, uh, yeah, and I was, I was refusing. I, I refused to take like either side. Um, but it will also make you, uh, you know, basically you don't belong. People would say that you don't belong. Uh, and so it's quite, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking for, and, and we saw all of those footages of, of, of the police, um, 
you know, all of the riot police and all of the conflicts um, between the protests and the police. Um, and, and, you know, Hong Kong police, they had this amazing image of being the best police uh, in the world, you know, um, they, 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 yeah, because they're very polite and they basically, they serve the people, right? So, you know, and the, the whole, the whole overturn of that image it was also very heartbreaking for me. Yeah. And it used to be also the safest place on earth. So that's mm -hmm. why it's so suitable for raising kids. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think about uh, this a lot that uh, when we use the verb policing, is it ever used mm. in a positive way? Um, yeah, I would, I would say it depends on your point of view because people talk about policing the streets and there is some, there is obviously some value to a civilian, um, peacekeeping force mm. if with like a half a billion caveats, right? But there is mm. like, there, there is some theoretical value to that sort of thing. Yeah. But no, no, no. Um, I'm just saying using it in a sentence, not like, not the police as an actual organized coalition. No, no, but you can't. If I'm policing, I'm going to police the my classroom. classroom or the classroom, mm. I'm policing the mm. classroom, or I'm being policed online. Um, there's usually always, there's always a power. Um, yeah, there's, there's, a sense, there's, there's a sense of injustice. Yeah, or mm. your rights, your rights are being like even even when a right per, uh, uh, like a right wing person uh, talks about mm. uh, like talks about liberal people policing their language, it's it's always it's always with an air of grievance. It, yeah, mm. exactly. There's a grievance, but so the question is, how can you have law enforcement without policing? People, but the thing is, people probably had a duped uh, uh, imagination of Hong Kong police before. Mm. Mm. Uh, because never were they in such a situation that they had to even use the riot police, right? And, and you know, and people, some of the arguments, which I disagree, uh, some of the arguments would be, okay, look at the, look at the U.S., you know, um, you know, you, if you behave like this in the U.S., you will be shot, right, by the police. Wow. Um, uh, so, so why, you know, that was the arguments, uh, supporting the police force that's right really, so that's actually really your behavior cool. your behavior like this will be will 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 uh will uh, cost your life whereas here look you're just injured and what's the big deal and yeah so it's that's, a, that's really it's painful good. to hear though when because one, mm. one of the favorite things in this country is to use other other countries as negative examples like mm. like china uh, yeah, China is yeah. one. Iran is another. I mean, we have bigger prison populations as um, as a function of the total population than either. Mm. But but people will still say like um, they'll they'll point they'll point to all of these these countries that that mm. they think that that Americans are 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 used to thinking of as uncivilized and saying look look at how much better you have it than. Than there and now people are saying, look at how much better you have it than the United States. It's a sobering mm. moment. 
yeah and i uh, you know and it's also i i know and it's also you know but it it used to be just the case that the policemen in the streets the patrolling and they were in in hong kong it used to be the case that there are just uh, civil servants Mm -hmm. they they serve the people and they they solve crimes and they're very efficient and they help you and you know in in hong kong even if i lose my id or my wallet i wouldn't worry because a policeman would fetch it for you it, it happened it happened to me um so it's just they they had this really glorious image um so it's it's very yeah it was, was very painful to see um so what happened uh, well because there was a, a raid in the in the underground in the in the metro, so basically, they actually beat up a lot of civilians who were not armed. Because in Hong Kong, you can't get any weapons, right? Uh, guns. So they were beaten up, and uh, um, uh, and it was obviously like a very violent move on on the police side and then ever since then it's it's a it's a station called prince edward so ever since then it's happened on the 31st of august mm. so ever since then hong kongers have been visiting on every month end of the month 31st they will be visiting and and will be kind of sending flowers um to 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 nobody really died i i don't i don't believe that somebody died there's a rumor that there's one person missing and killed but i don't think it happened uh, from my judgment right but they were mourning that very day um because that was that was they think that marked the um like the sar the special administration region administrative region of hong kong from a democratic uh, region or economy to a police state yeah so yeah so that was a kind of turning point mm-hmm. and it all got very violent afterwards you know that story so before it was all very peaceful it was exemplary and and they were glorious you know over two million people were in the streets demonstrating but all peacefully and orderly and it you know, it blew the world's mind, right? Um, just, um, just a quick parenthetical. The population of Hong Kong is in the seven million. Seven million. Mm. So two million people out of seven. It's that's that's a lot. Yeah. And and but so so. When would you? It was peaceful before. Twenty nineteen is what you're saying. It was peace. It was peaceful before uh, August twenty nineteen, and then it escalated, and then we actually had to suspend. So I, I'm a veteran of online teaching, <laughs> so we actually suspended teaching uh, in November uh, last year. So 20, we, we actually 2019. got, a, yeah. So we actually got some practice for online teaching because streets were. Uh, not usable and there were um, bombs right now so gas you know what's that what's that called cocktail what's that word uh, tear gas uh, you mean tear gas were used but that was from the police but they made a lot of oh um the uh, cocktails. yeah 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 
yeah so um it got out of hands definitely yeah. And I, I remember, uh, I think it was in June when the chief executive of Hong Kong, um, Carrie Lam, uh, that there was a peaceful demonstration and there was some police action on it. But then at on, I remember that night she had a public announcement made and she called it a riot. And mm. that night I had a very bad feeling because I think she defined it and you know, words do perform so she defined it as a riot and then it got got very violent afterwards mm -hmm. after she defined it as a riot but before then it wasn't like that well, so people then, were really angry that she defined it as a riot when they were just demonstrating yeah, yeah. so well, and the police now have a reason to incite violence because it's well, called a riot mm, exactly the, the thing that we the thing that that people don't appreciate is if you call a peaceful protest a riot, then there are going to be people who, in that protest who say, well, if we're gonna be called rioters, why not mm. riot? Yeah. And I don't, I don't necessarily, I mean, I ascribe to that logic in other places, like as a, as an, as a person on the American political left, I say, mm. well, if they're gonna call us socialists, why not try to give people, the average person a fair shake in the mm. socialist tradition? Mm. But, so I ascribe to that logic in other ways. I don't, I'm not a person who advocates violence. I'm not a violent person. But, but I, don't I can, see, I can see where the frustration comes from. But I don't think we should put the burden on those who are grieving. I think we exactly. should put on the police exactly. state who's defined what I'm, terms No, for but that, that's what I'm saying. Like. People, people who, people well, who are blaming the protesters. I'm saying people mm -hmm. who are working their asses off to have peaceful protests, only to be, only to have them called like peaceful protesting is not easy. No. And only to have those protests uh, dubbed riots by somebody who is trying to score political points. That's I think a, Biden has won. Yes, that's true. <laughs> But I wasn't even checking. Well, that's but we're not. Uh, this is a historical moment. Where <laughs> yeah, this is the history of the podcast. No, but I'm, anyway, um, yeah. yeah I think well, and I think what I'm upset with, it's not you, what you're saying, Adam. I'm upset yeah. that, first of all, the George Floyd protests have been the largest in the U.S. history, 25 yeah. million people. And for those of our for those of our our listeners who are not aware, Andrew has been very active in the. I've world. been very. I've been on the streets. So uh, trying, to, I think trying to magnify the voices of the people who mm -hmm. are most closely involved. It's it's good stuff. It's, yeah, and I think because I am on the streets, I have such a mm -hmm. vantage point that you know mm -hmm. Adam and I have been discussing this it can get frustrating because I sometimes feel those who aren't on the streets are trying to dictate the terms of the protesters and that mm, mm, you're not yeah. listening to the voices of the oppressed. Yeah. Mm. You're listening to the voices that you want to theorize. Yeah, and, and this gets difficult. People like me, I'm not going outside during, uh, for protesting mm. because I'm living with people who are medically delicate. Mm. And so I'm in this role of the armchair protester, not entirely mm. out of choice and so yeah Andrew and I do have this kind of troubling dynamic where mm, Andrew's mm. out there actually doing things and I'm mm. I'm very much not I understand yeah but I think it's also what I'm seeing is 
Right, you just said, so the election's been called. Well, mm. that doesn't stop the white militia groups from continuing their barrage of attacks. Mm. Mm. I wish it would stop them, but I know it's not. And I think a lot of us are all anxious because we just don't know what each day brings with it. And if nothing else, though, I know that the voice of the protesters isn't stopping. Yeah. Mm. And I think it happened when you're expected to allow law enforcement to define themselves as against the people of the country. Mm. And how can mm. you let law enforcement say that they're against their citizens right. and continue mm. to unjustly tear gas their citizens or arrest mm. them? And that's why I don't, I don't know what the future holds. I think it, I think that there's a mass amount of people who are saying, we need to figure, and this is my thought, we need to actually, and you said this when, and Adam, mm. who, what is law enforcement's role? And mm. how can they be with the community? And what does right. that look like? And I think you right. said civil servant to me has such a different tone than, mm. you know, riot police or even mm. police itself. It's a, like, you know, you would go and someone would help you find lost items mm. if i went to the police right now i don't know how comfortable i'd feel asking them to find something for oh me. yeah 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 exactly yeah i was yeah. i was in the street and i was around prince edwards uh, mm. last week and there were police fully armed because it was the 31st remember ha halloween it was saturday and it was 31st so they were fully armed they got guns and uh, you know in the past i would just be you know very happily walking past these people patrolling uh, the streets and safeguarding our lives right yeah and it was just a sense of menace you really just it's the whole dynamic changed and you just never can trust um, well and i think that's what we're faced with right now in the u.s yeah i'm not sure mm. how much of this will keep but i think it's important to note that a lot and this is where i want to make clear I know police officers, mm. I respect the job that I've seen officers yeah. close to me do in empathetic ways and mm. ways where they treat people with decency and respect, mm. um, and that exists. So I think what's hard is when you start to enter these conversations, it becomes a personal attack to some mm. people. Like you're saying, I'm against you as a person, not I'm against the system. Yeah. and. Mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, though, the police union supported Trump wholeheartedly. So mm -hmm. what do you do when the police politicize themselves? Mm -hmm. The citizens aren't going to be happy either mm -hmm. way, you know? So I yeah. think there's a lot to sort out here. And there is. there is. Yeah. But like you said, in Hong Kong, I think when you've just given us such an important on the ground account, but also what you're reviewing, which is this isn't just one country's mm. um, injustices they're facing. This is a global, mm. this is I a think global so. movement. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, I think so. And I, I just, you know, if there is a piece of advice I could give, yeah. I, I actually think, you know, there were the moment of really glory uh, uh, and and a shining example of humanity. I think early in August, when um, 
because it, for the protesters or for the demonstrators at the time, mm. they had two groups, right? The one was all for peaceful demonstration, and the, there are groups who we call Yong uh, Pai, which means the the ones who are brave and uh, brave and uh, brave and violent. That's the that's the that's how they call themselves. And uh, so, so, so they, I think it was outside the police station and the, the Yong Mo Pai, the, the, the brave ones wanted to do something, you know, to the police station and to harm the police officers. That was early, earlier in, in, in August. And uh, there was a moving moment recorded when all of the peaceful ones were kind of dragging them back and asked them to just, you know, if, if you do the violence and you lose the, the the war and it was a you know it was really moving and i thought you know last summer um there were very few reports in the mainland about these peaceful demonstrations uh well and then there was this flourishing uh, amount of news reports when it turned violent it was all it, it suited them very well mm. so it you know so it's just you know you, we I, I witness hong kong basically going into darkness yeah uh sinking in darkness so really um non-violence you know, basically this is what i'm saying yeah um, that's the only way to go yeah. otherwise you know you just you, you just give them the weapon Right, you just hand the weapon well, into their hands. I mean, the issue with China is the the issue with China is the is the state controlled media. The question is how to counter that. I, I you were saying it's difficult. It's it's so powerful. You were, it's so difficult. You were saying um, though that that a nonviolent protest doesn't get a lot of attention, right? And a violent that's protest, the one that was two million people in the streets. Right, exactly. So, so, so there, yeah. there are two, there are two weapons at work here, right? For a nonviolent protest, the weapon is silence, and for a violent protest, the weapon is this like yeah. triumphalist propaganda. Yeah. So, it doesn't seem to be, to me, it doesn't seem to my ears that that the nonviolent protest wins and the violent protest loses. What seems to my ears is that they both lose as long as the state controls the methods of communication. Mm -hmm. uh, right. and so of course mm -hmm. we're, com we're coming back to, to Walter Benjamin, that we need to think of this as primarily a war of information. Yeah. And mm. whether or not the protesters are violent is, is a secondary concern. Um, there are people who have violent reactions to the to the to to violent incursions on their lives and on their freedom. And I, yeah. as much as I abhor violence, I I understand. I understand mm. the impulses driving violent protesters. Mm. And so the question is, if a few protesters get violent, or even if a lot of protesters get violent, does that mean that they're objectives are any less worthy or any less noble and and it doesn't for me there, mm. there are people there are people for whom violent protest invalidates the protest mm. and i don't get it i don't get mm. it because there's there are still people who are hungry there are still people who are who are being put in prison on flimsy pretexts mm. and that doesn't change because somebody throws a stone or even throws a molotov cocktail mm. 
Well, and the question is whether we want a way forward. And the way forward is through communication. Yeah. And I yeah. think we're all advocating for, to make it clear, we're all advocating for peaceful activism and nonviolence. Mm. And mm. like, I really don't, I really don't think violence is, violence isn't the first step or no, should not. To make your voice heard. But it hasn't been the first step. No, it's but like the seventeenth step. Yeah, but as Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X and so many civil rights leaders, they said that I think it was Martin Luther King Jr.'s quote, but that rioting is the voice of the oppressed. Or yeah. mm. of the effect. And but that wasn't the first the rioting wasn't the like you're saying when there is two million people in the street, but it, mm. Adam said why is that news information not being broadcast? Mm. And it's the same thing here. We rarely see, like even the protests, not, and they're not, usually I'm at a rally. Like we define it as a rally and a um, march, right? Rarely is it defined usually as a, um, um, a protest even, but mm. it's, odd to me that a lot of news outlets never come to them. Mm. I think that speaks a lot to the sensationalism of our news and yeah, having definitely. people in and um, you know, there's a narrative that news outlets want sometimes and it depends on um, who they're beholden to as well, yeah. especially in America. It's about what kinds of corporations are they beholden to. Um, but I feel like I feel like we're doing it. We're concluding this in yeah. bringing us back to Walter Benjamin, but also mm -hmm. we've been on such a roller coaster of emotions, from laughter mm -hmm. to feeling the anger to mm -hmm. to working through differences and being able to talk through our anxieties. And I think mm -hmm. this is also important because we need the space. And like, where is all of our optimism right now? Like what? That's a good question. What can we do right now with ourselves to feel, mm -hmm. is it to have more of these conversations to realize that we're not alone in? That's part of mm. it. I feel optimism about the little things. And I also feel optimism about the fact that I, about the idea that we can create change through um, through protest, I do I do think that that's true. Mm. Um, it's happened in little ways. It's um, it's not as encouraging as one would like. Yeah, but these conversations are happening. Wait. They are. They are. Like I remember when Black Lives Matter. I remember first hearing about it. Twenty mm. twelve. Um, I think it was during President Obama's. Yeah, mm. yeah, and it was getting no positive press whatsoever. Yeah, and I remember when I even just tried to ask more about it with friends of mine, they're like, why would you support that? Or mm. not even why would you support it? Yeah. But they would say, well, as, well, if I was talking with my white friends, because at the time I was in my undergrad and um, I was at a, um, went to a school where they're, is a lot of people of color and different groups. Mm. So like mm. we don't have a lot of these conversations, but I remember I would try to talk about it with my family 
And they're like, well, why would you be interested in that? Or, mm. you know, is, is that pertinent to your, to who you are as a person? But now I feel like the needle has moved so much. So that does make me optimistic that mm. there's progress. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You, we can't hide under the covers anymore. No. Yeah. And, Definitely. And, when, and what do you feel optimistic yeah, about? Yeah. I feel optimistic that I am teaching my students. Uh, I'm making a, uh, I think I'm making a difference by teaching the literature course. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a very small class, but I feel like I've got very positive feedback. And, you know, either way, this is like after 15 years of studying English. No, is it? Yeah, it's after 15 years of studying, 20 years of studying English literature. I first got a course uh, on English literature. You know, before it was all writing and just general English. So it, I, I really cherish this opportunity. I really want them to be touched um, by the experience. So when they, um, when they face the harsh reality <laughs> or when, when they have difficulties in their life, they have another world. Um, not to escape to, but to, you know, to have a more enriched experience of life. To draw strength uh, from. Yeah. And that's it. You're making a difference. So you've left me optimistic. Yeah. And Thank you. This has been an amazing no Yeah. Can I, can I read that poem uh, about yeah. Hong Kong that I wrote and, um, yeah, I actually shared it with the SCT people as well. But I, I find that, uh, I, think, I think it's my tribute to Hong Kong. Yeah, please do. Please read it. Yeah. Okay, so it's called, it's called Follow Me. Okay, so um, he comes to Hong Kong bringing two huge, huge, let me begin again. <laughs> okay, follow me. He comes to Hong Kong bringing two huge suitcases. Everything inside for me, books, winter clothes, milk chocolates, and salted hams. I take him to Stanley, he takes pictures of me. He says he's tired and goes to bed early. I remember when dad passed his test five years ago, he rented a small gray old van. Nobody dared to ride in his car but mom and me. He took the highway and I the map. When we arrived, it was dark. He said he was tired and went to bed early. I knew his palms were still sweating. Mom whispered to me, that was frightening. When he drove to Suzhou three years ago, it was a black secondhand sedan. He took the highway and I the map. When people tried to overtake, I watched him speeding Fields flashed by rapidly and he yelled, follow me. Laughter dissolved us instantly. When we visited Suzhou six months ago, he took the highway and I the map, this time a champagne colored Volkswagen. It crashed into a barrier and our tire was flat. I called for a rescue while he was there, smoking. When we arrived at the cemetery, it was dark. He murmured, sorry, mother, we are late. Luckily, our little lass is now big. 
Now that he's sleeping, I can see his wrinkles prosper. Wherever I go, whatever I do, he follows me in this strange city. Oh. Wow. That's it. That was powerful. <laughs> Thank you so Thank much. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Thank, so you. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, yeah. uh, I feel like I have a, a community out there, a uh, support system out there. And I, I look forward to the writing group as well. Yeah. Yeah. This, yeah. Was, this meant a lot to me. Yeah. I don't know what to say except thank you all for listening. This has been a meeting in the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. I'm Adam. This is Andrew, and we've been talking with Dr. Huan Shi. And we wish that you're all safe and healthy out there. So, you know, we're journeying on. Yeah. Yeah.